0: If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just wanna talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Let's pray our prayer for illumination together. It is printed in your bulletin. Almighty and everlasting God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the words we hear today, may your living word be revealed to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our New Testament lesson is from Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let us hear the Word of God. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were, by nature, children of wrath, like everybody else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what He has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The Word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. I grew up in a a loving, grace-filled, not perfect, but really very wonderful United Methodist Church that formed me from infancy through to adulthood. I have always been a Christ follower who is a Methodist. I have also struggled with how other Christians sometimes reject my Methodist heart and my Methodist faith. Covington, not unlike Murfreesboro, was the buckle of the old Bible belt, I think. Back then, everybody was worried if you were saved. My friends in elementary school, they were afraid that since I was a Methodist, and since I had been sprinkled, that I wasn't saved, that I wasn't really a Christian. They had the whole Bible memorized, it seemed. We had learned to read it every day, but we didn't have it memorized. They talked about hell like they had been there yesterday, and they told me that I was going there in a handbasket if I didn't do something about it. My goodness! They knew the day and time Jesus was coming back, even though Jesus himself said, I don't even know when I'm coming back, only the Father knows. They knew. I don't know how they got that message. They described these dramatic conversion experiences. Can you imagine 10, 11, 12-year-old boys at the Crestview Elementary School? One said he had been set free dramatically from Dipping. Do you know what dipping is, Jacob? You know what dipping is. You put a little tobacco right there and that's dipping. He had been saved from dipping in a dramatic way. Another had been at a tent revival and got so afraid of the fires of hell that he rushed forward, was baptized for the third time, and preached a sermon which saved 12 other grown men from the fires of hell. Another still gave a testimony to deliverance from the lingerie section of the JCPenney catalog that came in the mail. (laughs) All I could think when I heard that, all I could think about was my mama had sense enough to hide hers from two boys in the house. That's what she did. She hid it in the top of her closet. Don't ask me how I knew where it was. I (laughs) I did know where it was. Now, I don't mean to trivialize any of that. I don't want to trivialize any of it. I just want to say my experience was so different from theirs that I felt like a second-class Christian. Has anybody else ever felt like a second-class Christian? Yeah, we we know that feeling. I, I didn't have any of that dramatic conversion. Mine was like water dripping in a bucket over a lifetime. A very different experience. I went, or, went over all this with my, my nana, my grandmother, who took me to church every Sunday. We had a big bowl of ice cream, and she got me all straightened out. She said, uh, let me ask you a few questions. I said, yes, ma'am, go ahead. She said, do you love Jesus? Yes, ma'am, I do. Do you know that he died for all of your sins? Yes, ma'am, I know that. And then, then she plucked these words right out of our baptismal liturgy. We heard them at 8.30 this morning. Do you put your whole trust in His grace? She said that to me, and I said, Yes, I do, Nana. I do. You know I do. She said, Well, then, don't let those boys mess with your faith. You just go tell them, I have been saved, I am being saved, I will be saved, and you go tell them I'm going to love the judgment out of you if it kills me. (laughs) Just remember, just remember, we Methodists are a little different, but in a good way. But in a good way. I have thought about that so much. We are a little different. What is it that makes us different in a world of churches where so many leverage guilt, shame, and fear to drive behaviors and decisions of all kinds. What is it? It is our our theology, our thinking about God that makes us a little different. Thanks to... John and Charles Wesley and their mother Susanna and a host of others. Our theology is so firmly grounded in the breadth and the depth of the Holy Scriptures that it does an exceptional job of describing the power of the life-changing love of God to save the world from sin and selfishness in and through Jesus Christ. But, I must say, I'm afraid we have lost our voice in this day and time. We have lost our voice. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the core of our Wesleyan theology so that we can remember and reclaim that which makes us so beautifully unique and I think potentially so effective for reaching this world for Jesus Christ. John Wesley preached a sermon, he preached a whole lot of sermons, and ordained people had to outline Wesley. Did you have to outline some Wesley sermons going through seminary? A few, I had to do 52, Jackson, I had to do 52 of Wesley's sermons. We had to outline, David Stockton had to do some outlining of sermons too, I know. We, we had to outline Wesley's sermons because they hold the core of our theology. We had to do that several times actually. This one is called The Scripture Way of Salvation. His text is ours today from Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. We start with a very powerful question. What is salvation? What is salvation? Salvation. I want you to think how you would answer that question. How would you write that down if you had to give a response? What is salvation? The Greek words here in Ephesians make it very plain. It is not something at a distance. It is not a future blessing. It is not some pie in the sky when you die kind of a thing. It is, as Wesley would say, a very present thing. A blessing which through the free mercy of God you are now in possession of. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ you have been saved. And that salvation stretches from before the grace of God dawns in your soul until the whole of God's saving work is completed and every knee bows and every tongue confesses That Jesus Christ is Lord. If you have put your faith in Jesus. You are in possession of that gift. Right now. Today. You have it in your heart. But then the question comes. If I have been saved. Why do I still struggle with sin and selfishness? Why? Why do I still struggle? On Friday I had the great privilege of baptizing the youngest son of some of our dearest friends in a beautiful lake in North Carolina. Everything about it was perfect. It couldn't have been better. Just a gorgeous morning. Water was just right. Everything was perfect. We get back We get back to the cabin. We have a delicious brunch. And what, 20 minutes into our brunch, this boy... Goes over to his brother and stabs him in the back with a Lego about that long. Made a gash, blood came out. It was it was an injury, an injury. His daddy looked at me and said, "You didn't hold him under long enough." <laughs> and I said, "I held him under longer than most." I don't know. We may need we may need to do that again. This is the great theological struggle that we have, isn't it? How can I be saved? but still hurt my brother with my sin? How can I be a Christ follower and still have sin in my life? And, and the question which troubles so many, how am I supposed to deal with other Christians whose sin seems worse than mine? Some theologies teach that if you still have sin in your life, After being saved, that you really weren't saved. You'll just have to start over and hope you die at the right time. That's how some think about this. Some spiritualize everything and say that it's just in the flesh. It's just in the flesh. Your spirit is saved. You're okay. It's just in the flesh. But that flies in the face of the Genesis account of creation, body, mind, and soul, always together, never apart, always together, never apart. You can't be saved in the spirit and not in the flesh. That doesn't make any sense when you read the whole thing. It just doesn't work. Some say, well, it really doesn't matter. If you are one of God's elect, saved by God, what happens in this life? is of no consequence. Some believe that, but that opens the door in my mind to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What then? Shall we sin and sin boldly that grace may abound? No, good graces, no. We can't do that. Still other, this is my favorite one here, and I think the most common in modern-day Christianity, still others say that it depends on whether it is a bad sin or not whether it's a bad sin. That is insane. That is just crazy, I think. The Bible says sin is all the same, whether it is eating too much at the buffet this afternoon, cheating on your income taxes, or just thinking about that woman in the lingerie catalog. That's adultery. Jesus says that's straight-up adultery. It is all the same, all the same. How are we supposed to get our hearts and minds around this? How? this is where our uniqueness begins we understand salvation to include two powerful moves justification and sanctification justification is the forgiveness of all our sins past present and future and god's profound and complete acceptance of us through the blood and righteousness of jesus In justification, we find God's peace that passes all understanding and a rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, we are justified. We are made right with God. That's the good news that we celebrate. We are made right with God. It is a gift from God, not something we earn so that nobody can be boasting about it. At that same moment, sanctification begins at that same moment, two sides of the same coin, justification, sanctification. We are, in the words of Jesus from John chapter 3, born again, born anew, born from above, born of the Spirit. A real change begins to work its way through our heart and life. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who who moves in, raising up a great desire to love all of humanity with the holy, tender love of God. This desire to love pushes away. It pushes away love of the world, love of pleasure, love of money and ease, of power, pride, anger, selfishness, judgment. It pushes all of it away. God's grace begins to change the earthly, sensual, devilish mind into the very mind of Christ Jesus. That's what happens in sanctification for most, for nearly all of us, I would say. Sanctification is a journey that lasts until God has made us complete in every way. Verse 10, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life right now today, right now. What is salvation? Well, it's that whole thing that we've just been talking about. We must be so very careful not to pull it apart and say, well, it's just justification or it's just sanctification. No, no, it is the whole thing. It is all of it from beginning to end. First John chapter 4 verse 18 helps us so much more. Salvation is being made complete in love in this life. It is the healing of the image of God in which you and I were created. That image of God has been so badly shattered and broken by sin and selfishness that it is almost unrecognizable, but it remains. It remains on the face of every single human being. Jesus gave his life for the whole of humanity that we might all have that image carefully, tenderly, perfectly put back together. Old John Wesley says, it is the holy love of God pushing out our sin, filling our hearts, and love taking up the whole capacity of our souls. (laughs) What makes us unique? Well, We have learned to quit worrying about if you died tonight, where are you going to go? God has that well under control. We have learned to worry about this. If Jesus loves us like this, how in the world am I going to live right now so that I sin less and love more? Because I want to honor God with my whole life, not just some little religious piece that I get out on Sunday. That's what makes us a little different, but in a good way. We believe in the sacred worth of every human being. We believe in the undeniable fact that Jesus Christ destroyed the power of all sin on that cross through the twin gifts of love and forgiveness. We are no longer captive to sin or the devil. We believe in God's capacity to love everybody to life until they discover for themselves the saving grace of God already at work within no matter how long it takes we believe we are in charge of helping with that in the name of Jesus we hear Nana's words again in a new way don't let those boys mess with your faith you tell them I have been saved I am being saved I will be saved. You tell them, we're going to love the judgment out of you, even if it kills us. Because we can, and by God's grace, we will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen.